Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Gift from God to us is a thing called marriage. It's a gift. It doesn't mean you have to be. It is very appropriate. It is very godly. In fact, it is Paul-like to remain single. But for those who have passion, it is better to marry than burn. That's the scripture. I thought it meant burn in hell. I remember when I was 12 years old, I was looking for a wife because I didn't want to go to hell. (laughs) Of course, in Arkansas, we start early. That's just the way it was. (laughs) Just kidding. But what a gift it is. And God has this most incredible plan. And today we're going to talk about it. So let me emphasize what David already said. If you have, if there are children in here or young, young people, what, whatever age you determine is the best, it's, it's not going to be a subject matter that is appropriate. You know, I just say that. But it is, uh, there's a, there is another version of this, but I will not go there because uh, of the context. I'll try to make it as PG as we can. Paul will allow that. But he gets very specific. I know that these pictures brought back memories. And some of you, it not only brought back a memory, it's going to bring up a conversation like, why didn't you send our picture in? (laughs) Can I tell you, right before my wife and I left, she looked at me and she goes, what's this I hear about wedding pictures? Did you turn ours in? I said, no, I thought you did. And she goes, no. I, I didn't know anything about it. So please forgive us if you didn't know about it. But to those of you who did send your picture in, thank you. There's some of you we would have never known you back then because we couldn't figure out who you are. Did you see David Loveless with locks of love flowing down his, I mean, you look very different back then. Let me say that. Is that all right? So in your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. While you're turning, let me tell you the setting. Paul is in Ephesus, but he gets a visitor from Corinth. I think he might have gotten three, three guys that came, and we kind of know who they are. I mean, there's, a, there's some evidence, but he shows up, or they show up, excuse me, and said, Paul, we got some questions. This chapter is his answer to those questions. I think it's interesting that some of the most incredible material we have in the Bible came as the result of a question. For example, Jesus teaching in Mark 13 about the second coming, the end of time, the destruction of Jerusalem, that all came as a question the disciples had. This is from a question. I know you've got questions that I'm not going to address today. Some of them are very specific. I don't mind talking about them. Listen, you'll never find a subject that I won't talk about. But I know there are times to talk about certain things. So let me encourage you to do this. Give me your questions from this, series, from this chapter 7 that we've been in, or chapter 6 even. 
Give me your questions. There's going to be a weekend coming up where I'm going to deal with the questions because there are already some great ones. All you got to do, text question to 407-77, and then I'm going to address it. Now, Paul's answering these questions. Let me, let me tell you what the questions were. We think. Because they lived in Corinth, <clears throat> if you haven't been with us, if you haven't been with us through this series, Corinth was a really very interesting place. The, the sexual values of Corinth were uh, little and none. They, they, everything, free love and nickel beer. I mean, it was just everywhere, okay? So basically, they had prostitutes coming down the mountain off of the mountain where the temple of Aphrodite was, working the, their trade, working the streets, and it was just very common. Sailors would come in because that's where ships would come. And it was quite an environment. So much so that the Christians in the church began to think this way. So if it's so bad out there, maybe we just need to take a vow or encourage people to take a vow of celibacy. And not to engage in sex. Because all they saw was sex that had been twisted. And so they were saying, Paul... Is it okay for us not to marry and to not have sexual relations at all? And so Paul is writing back to answer that question. Now again, the context is, is, means everything. When you see the perversion that was around them, it makes you wonder, man, is sex, is there anything right about it? And Paul's answer is absolutely there is. Yes, there is something right about it. No, you don't have to take a vow of celibacy. Now, to be honest, Doug treated the passages in this chapter about being single last week. Did a phenomenal job. I watched it. And, and many of you were here to see it. But Paul is trying to answer it in the best way he knows how. So we're going to, there's really three subjects that he addresses in this chapter. We're just going to hit them quickly because I want to say, I think there's going to be a lot more time for us on that weekend that we're going to have a, a lot of questions answered. So if I didn't answer your question today, hey, it's probably a good chance. I'm going to address it then. Let's start with verse one. Well, let me show you the three divisions, first of all. The first is his answer. He gives them a basic answer in, in verse one and two. Then he says, hey, God gave you the gift of being single, but he also gave you the gift of being married. In marriage, you need each other to meet sexual needs. In other words, that's the context. That's the fireplace. Remember the analogy of a fire? There's the beautiful fire that you can build that's romantic. There's also a fire that burns your house down. And the difference is controlled environment. He says the, the, the fireplace needs to be your marriage. There you meet one another's sexual needs. But also in marriage, you need each other because you can meet each other's spiritual need. There is a reason God gave the gift of marriage. And it wasn't just to have babies. And it wasn't just to have a moment of pleasure. It's through marriage that God grows us up. It's actually one of the most beautiful pictures of our salvation and our relationship with Jesus. We're called the bride of Christ, right? And so I think his goal for your marriage, if you're married, or if indeed you will get married, is that through your marriage, you're going to grow up to be like Jesus. Just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. So he answers it. Let's go to the text. Verse 1. 
Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, there it is. Quotation mark, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That was their thought. That's why it's in quotation mark. That's not Paul. That's what they thought because of what I stated. When I was in high school, actually I was in college, my life had just changed. And I was trying to walk in a way that would please God. But I struggled in the dating arena because it had always been a weak point for me. It was a place where the enemy really had a foothold and a stronghold in me. I went to a conference and a guy was going to talk about how you can honor God in dating and you can honor God in relationships. I went probably looking more for the loopholes than I was anything else. How far can I go on a date, you know? <clears throat> he got up and read. This is the first verse he read. This is the ESV. Let me tell you the way the King James says it. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. When I read that, I had a pew Bible. I grabbed a Bible out of the seat in front of me or wherever it was. They already had some Bibles out. When I read that verse, I closed it and said, no, I'm out. <laughs> I did. Because you know what I thought it meant? I thought it meant I can't even hold her hand. I can't put my arm around her. There's no way. Notice what the ESV translators did. Sexual relations. The word touch means something bigger, obviously. They thought it's good not to have sex at all. But because of the temptation, watch this, to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So isn't it interesting that marriage has a way of protecting us? It should. From the enemy that is trying to destroy this planet. And he's doing it a lot through sexuality and the destruction of God's plan for sexuality. Now, we'll go, as he finishes this, he's basically saying, God has a gift for you. For some of you, it is to remain single. There is nothing wrong with being single. I grew up in a generation where we thought the answer for every single person, find him a husband, find him a wife. This is not ChristianMingle.com, First Orlando. In fact, I, no, I'm not going to say that. I have had, <clears throat> I've had single women come to me and say, please don't ever recommend to find your husband in church. And the reason is because the standards of men in church or and women in church, they're not any better than the standards out there. So is it a gift? Yes, it's a gift. And it's a gift that you have to know you have or you will not make it. You'll struggle with the passion, with the desire that God gave you, by the way. But you need to honor where you are right now with God. If you're single, just believe that, God, I'm in your hands. And I'm trusting you. If you haven't found the right one, if God hasn't brought the right one, well, let me give you a little bit of advice. I didn't meet the right one until I spent almost, I don't know, three or four months didn't go to a single party, didn't, go to a, didn't have a single date because I was building houses. I was working on a roofing crew. And all I did was work, come home, live in the little parsonage, the church I pastored. And on my drive back to school that fall, I said, okay, Lord, I've had a great time with just you. And as far as I'm concerned, if that's what you want it to be, the rest of the journey is just us. 
I pulled onto the campus, got out of my car, walked into the student union building, and there was a girl standing there. I said, what's your name? Her name was Rachel. The rest is history. I believe until he was enough, God wasn't going to bring that person. Because I was looking for something from somebody that only God could do in my life. So if you are single, embrace it. Say, God, I'm just going to trust you. I heard and read an article one time. It was in a very, you would know the, the Christian uh, publication. I'm not, I'm not going to call it because it's, it's a really good one, and I get it, get it every, every month. A guy said this. What's happening to the church in this country is we're having mostly singles in the church and they're not married and that is a problem in the church. That would be like saying, man, we got too many Apostle Pauls in here. I, we just got to figure this out. It's okay to be single. I grew up thinking that before you marry, you're incomplete and when you get married, you're finished. So I don't know if that helps anything at all. So he says there is the gift of singleness, but there's also a gift of marriage. And yes, Paul honored it. Was he married? Nope. I don't think he ever was. I don't think he was divorced. I don't think he was a widow, a widower. I think he was a single man. And he honored marriage. You say, well, how would a single man know what he's talking about when it talks about marriage and sex and all of that? Same reason somebody can tell us about heaven who's never been there. He wrote about heaven. John wrote about heaven. So you got to remember there is an inspiration of the Holy Spirit that can teach you what you would never know on your own. And so the Lord is speaking through the Apostle Paul, and he honors. You know what Hebrews says? I don't think he wrote Hebrews, but even if he did, this would be a really cool thing. Look at this verse in Hebrews. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. In other words, they honored marriage. Marriage was honorable. In fact, we believe that. And so later on this summer, we're going to have what's called a wedding day. And there's some of you in this room who have been living together, though you love each other. And you really feel like that, that you know, you're, you're probably meant for one another. All I want to ask you is, why not get married? Well, because, you know, we're trying to save our money or we're trying to do this. Hey, we'll fix a lot of that for you. You're going to get married right here in this room. And we're going to have other couples that want to join you. They're going to join you. They're going to get married. It's called a wedding day. We did it one time and we had so many couples. We had to plan another one. You're going to hear more information later. But once again, if you're interested in getting married in the sight of God, Text wedding. <laughs> this just sounds so, so wrong. I, how, why don't we do that? Text wedding to 40777. All right? I'm serious. I'm not, we don't make this stuff up. All right. So, and there, you'll hear more later. And there's a chance for you to help too, because we, we need a lot of help in terms of many need a wedding dress or they need a ring or whatever. So we'll let you know how you can be involved. So he says, hey, marriage is given by God. Now, the next section, he's basically saying that there's a purpose in marriage. For you and your spouse 
to come together in the sight of God. You are to marry and meet one another's needs, both physical and spiritual. There are people who came into marriage thinking, oh, it's going to be this way. It's going to be that way. Can I share some marriage myths? Things actually people believe before they married? Being miserable is the result of being single. Getting married will solve all my problems. Don't need a witness on that one. The relationship I'm in is not what I want my marriage to be like, but when we get married, I'm going to change him. Getting married isn't going to change my life that much. I can still live like I do now. The only difference is I get to have more sex. (laughs) Getting married will stop the struggle with all sexual temptation and meet all my needs. In fact, I can have sex anytime I want to. Don't need a witness on that one either. But the answer is no. No way, Jose, is that true. Dating is tough, but marriage is easy. And the last one, we're going to cuddle all the time. Well, I hate to break it to you, but that ain't going to happen. Here is the reality. I want to give you a definition. Biblical marriage looks like this. It's when God joins an imperfect man and a perfect woman in one place. (laughs) Right? I just wanted to correct that. An imperfect man, imperfect woman, in one flesh relationship, one flesh is often a euphemism for sexually, they are one, that over time, through trials that result in both flourishing and becoming more like Jesus. Now, I want you to get that and let that be running in the background because that is what God has in mind. There's two words in there that people don't like over time and through trials. We want to marry and it be like the movies. We ask on the street, just kind of one of those man on the street interviews. We asked people here one time, what's the secret of being married a long time and having a happy marriage? I'll never forget this girl's a young couple, actually. And they were sitting in, in, um, in Cafe on the Rock. And when we asked them the question, here was her response. She answered so quick. She said, lower your expectations. And I laughed. I mean, I thought it was great. I actually think she's right. Lower your expectations. Here's what I mean. Be real. And understand that we got two imperfect people who are going to be in a union for life. How's that going to equal perfection? The only way it works is God. The only way it works is the Lord is a part of this. It's a man and a woman and God, and there is a covenant between the three. And God blesses it. That's what he wants to do. And in blessing it, the first thing he wants to do is for you to meet your sexual needs. But actually, it starts by you meeting the other ones first. This is one of the most amazing passages to me. So let me read it. We're going to work through it one verse at a time. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. Who knows what conjugal rights means? It means sex. I don't know why they chose to put conjugal. I have never looked at Rachel and said, you know, let me talk about my conjugal rights. No. (laughs) 
Have you ever had a conversation, use the word conjugal? It just means should give to his wife what she needs physically. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not get this, not have authority over her own body. And all the guys are going, yes, that's what I wanted to hear. Hang on, big boy. But the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now go to the next verse. Do not deprive one another. That means abstain from sex, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So what is that all saying? God did this most amazing thing. He designed us with the capacity for sex. The capacity to give ourselves to one another. And in the giving of ourselves to one another, we become one with each other. And that oneness exceeds anything that we could ever imagine. In fact, let me read a quote by Tim Keller. God bless Tim Keller. He just passed. He's with Jesus. He started the Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York in actually 34 years ago. A brilliant writer and speaker. Listen to what he said. Sex is perhaps the most powerful God-created way to help give your entire self to another human being. Sex is God's appointed way for two people to reciprocally say to one another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. That is a gift from God. And God gave it to a covenant relationship called marriage. Now, It starts by you recognizing you are not to go into that relationship saying, I'm going to have my needs met. And the other thinking, I'm going to have my needs met. No. What Paul just said is, it's not about you, it's about your your spouse. It's meeting their need. Anyone who goes into a marriage and is in a marriage where it's about them getting their needs met, I can tell you what happens when it comes to sex rape. Terrible things happen because it's all about you getting your needs met. That's not at all what Paul is saying. Paul is saying it's actually you serving one another. Can I tell you the greatest advice I ever got on marriage? I was getting ready to get married. Rachel and I were getting ready, getting ready, and I was two weeks out, and I pastored a little church over in the hills of western Arkansas, and we had a, we had a cowboy in the church I can still see, see him redheaded, <clears throat> wore overalls most of the time. On Sunday, he would, bo- he would have both straps buttoned, but uh, otherwise, it was only one. And he had a chew of tobacco, which he spit out most of it before he came in the church. Uh, not all of it, I-, I can attest. He comes up to me after that sermon and says, uh, hey, before you get married, I want to I spend some time with you. I-, I-, I got some marriage advice for you. I'm thinking, oh, boy. This is all I need from him, marriage advice. But I loved the guy, and he was faithful. I said, all right, I'm here today. I'm this afternoon. He said, I'm going to come pick you up. He comes, pick me up in an old Ford pickup. Windows rolled down. Now he's got one button. The other one didn't. And we go to his ranch, and we start looking at his cows. 
I'm like, yeah, this is going to be a strange environment for wedding advice. He says, you see that heifer over there? Man, she's a great heifer. You see that bull? He's really done a good job. He works hard here. And I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> Give me the advice. We drive back to where he picked me up at the little house I was living in. I hadn't said a word about marriage. And right before I got out of the truck, he looks at me and says, David, thanks for going with me today. Here's the best advice I know. Your goal is to meet your wife's needs. And her goal is to meet your needs. And if you both do that, you're going to have a great marriage. God bless you, David. I got out thinking, I rode around a farm for that. The longer I've lived, the better that advice is. Do you know what the natural enemy of your marriage is? Selfishness. The moment it becomes about you, you miss the whole thing here. The moment it's about, no, she needs to serve me, or no, he needs to, no, no, no. You are in a mutually serving one another kind of relationship. And as you do that, it's actually the principle Jesus gave us. How do you find your life? Lose it. Remember when he said that? You really have to die to yourself to find life. And in, in, in order to be great, you have to be what? A servant. Everything Jesus did, he turned everything upside down. And he does it in marriage too. It is never appropriate to use sex as a weapon. It is never appropriate to look at your husband or wife and say, all right, nothing's happening tonight if you don't get that done. No. Sex is not a weapon. Sex is a wonderful gift from God that helps us understand what it means to serve one another and come together with one another. I, one of my favorite quotes is from a counselor that we had leading our counseling center back in Louisiana. His wife said, there's more to sex than showing up naked. And there is. It starts in the kitchen. It starts long before that moment. It's created by an environment of you serving her or, him, or you serving him and, 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 and creating this beautiful environment. Now, here's the crazy thing. God wired us so different. We are so different. Men respond one way. Women respond another. I've always compared it to this. Men are like microwaves. A few seconds, man, it, we're ready to go. Women, like a crock pot. You need to simmer all day. You need a little time. And my wife always says, yeah, but which one produces better food? Which one would you rather eat a meal from? <laughs> Crockpot, you're right. God knew what he was doing when he made us that way. But again, the point is, serve one another. That's how you take care of one another and meet one another's needs is by not thinking more about yours, but thinking more about theirs. And then he says, and by the way, if you decide to abstain from sex... You better make it just a little while. Look at verse 5 again with me. Don't deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement and for a limited time, so that, and for prayer, so that Satan will not tempt you. I think that's unbelievable advice. He says, if you're going to abstain, you, you need to do it by mutual agreement. Both of you agree on it. And you need to do it just for a limited time and spend time praying. You know why Paul says that? Because of that Corinthian environment. The enemy is out there to get you. And before you know it, there's going to be somebody at work that looks a lot better than what you have at home. So guard your heart. 
And that's what you do together as a husband and wife. You meet one another's physical needs. Second thing, you meet one another's spiritual needs. He kind of turns and talks more about the spiritual part of it. To the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. All that means is that when Paul says the Lord or himself, the Lord, meaning Jesus, there was a strong tradition, things written down that they actually had at Corinth. And if he's quoting from that tradition or from what Jesus said, he'll say this. He'll say the Lord. But if he's not quoting directly, he'll say I, not the Lord. Doesn't mean it's less inspired. It doesn't mean it's more important or less important. Because remember, God inspired every word we have in the Bible. He just uses one writer or Jesus or a tradition. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, not I, but the Lord said this. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does... She should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, he turns it around. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. The unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Now, I want you to notice these words. Made holy, made holy, holy. What's Paul's point? And that's, that's the last thing he says when and he's in this discussion about this. He's talking about it. So what's he, what's he getting at? Here's what he's getting at. God has a purpose in your marriage that is very spiritual. That you encourage one another in your faith. And so if you depart or divorce, then what happens to that witness? What happens to that? It's hindered. And so he's encouraging them, no, stay married. Even if your husband's not a believer, stay married. Why? Because you never know what God's going to do. And like Peter says in his letters, through the conversation, which means the lifestyle of the wife, the husband actually becomes a believer. Can I just tell you that there's a lady who sits down front at the 830 service. I've known her from the day I got here. And I've known her husband. Lost. Man, any time you try to talk to him about Jesus, it's like you offended him. Can I tell you, she prayed for him. She stayed faithful to him. And a year or so ago when we lost him on his deathbed, he asked to receive Jesus as his Savior and Lord. And I had the privilege of going in and serving the Lord's Supper to him. He wanted to partake of the Lord's Supper. So why am I telling you that story? Ladies, I'm not telling you it'll happen tomorrow. But you never know what God can do. The same for the other. Husbands, you never know what God can do. So there is this admonition. God hates divorce. Why? Because it messes up his plan. Does it mean you can't move on from that? Yes, you can move on. In fact, I think the Bible teaches that there are three exceptions, or some call it the exception clause, or three times that the, the Bible permits divorce. One is adultery, one is abandonment, the unbeliever leaves, or three is abuse. 
And everyone here, listen very carefully to me. If you're in a relationship and you're being physically abused or any abuse, emotional abuse, any kind of abuse, I can tell you, God has a greater plan than that for you. Now, does it mean you have to divorce? But God wants you safe, and he wants this relationship to honor him. So don't give up on it. We're going to talk a lot more about this when we come to that day where I answer questions. What does it mean the husband's made holy, the wife's made holy, the kids are holy? The kids have a greater chance of coming into relationship with Jesus if mom and dad know Jesus. I want every one of you in here to believe this. Even though the Bible says God hates divorce, God did something amazing for every one of us. He made a way for us to find redemption, restoration, forgiveness, and to be able to move on. And I believe you treat divorce the same way you do anything else that the Bible says God hates, a lying tongue, haughty spirit. You recognize it, you call it what it is, and you fall into the arms of Jesus and say, I need your grace I need your forgiveness and move on with your life. And if we could do that, do you know a lot of churches, divorce, that is the cardinal sin. I'll borrow that term. It's the sin that is unforgivable. No, it isn't. My sister divorced twice when I was still in high school. First one was state trooper. I loved him because I could ride with him and he'd go real fast. I was a kid. I thought he was cool. I didn't know what he was doing to my sister. I didn't know he was not a follower of Christ. Then she married a worship leader. Oh, surely that's right. I mean, come on, a worship leader's going to... No, it was horrible. So I remember thinking, God, so you're going to curse her the rest of her life? There's no way to be forgiven because she has been divorced now twice. And God showed me one of the most beautiful examples of what his grace can do. The third marriage was a godly man that together they married the same year Rachel and I did. They fostered children. They adopted children. They had an impact in their church and through their church. And we just buried him last year. And I saw what God's grace can do if you reach out to Jesus, even when you walk through a divorce. So can I just tell you? He's not through with you. Divorce doesn't disqualify you. The only thing that disqualifies you is an unrepentant heart. Just say, God, it's not the way I planned it. It's not the way you planned it, but it happened. But God, I want to serve you and I want to honor you in my marriage now or in my singleness. And I promise you, God will help you do it. So God has given us a gift of marriage. It's to meet physical needs. It's to meet spiritual needs. And let me tell you, God takes it seriously. I'm going to tell you a story. I want you to listen very carefully or you're going to go, wait, I missed something. <laughs> Two weeks ago, I got a call. There was a man here to see me. It was urgent. He needed to talk to me. I knew him. He's a brother. I love him. I said, come on, send him up. He came up to my office. He walked in. I promise you, I, it's he looked like he was so upset, crying. I said, man, are you all right? And he said, I need to tell you what happened. So we walked back into my office. I noticed he's got something in his hand. This is what he had in his hand. It wasn't in a box like this. It was just in his hand. He said, Pastor, you know my wife and I have been married. We, 
2015. I married him. They got a son. And they, uh, they're usually here every weekend. Three years ago, they went over to the beach, have a fun day at the beach. And he was out in the waves, New Smyrna, and this wedding band came off. They looked, they had other people helping them, but it was deep water and it was a little bit murky and they, they just, they never found it. That was three years ago. A year ago, he got involved with a woman outside of his marriage and he knew it was wrong. God began to convict him, began to trouble him. He finally came to the place of saying, man, I, I can't do this anymore. So two weeks ago on a Saturday, he walks into his wife and says, I, I can't do this anymore. And then he calls the woman, says, I'm not doing it anymore. As soon as he confessed, he said, I felt like there was a load lifted, but I knew I had work ahead of me, but I, but I was so glad that I had finally gotten back to what I know is the right thing. That was on a Saturday. On Monday morning, two weeks ago, he walks out to go to work, backs up and looks at his truck. And he sees something laying on the top of the fender, on the, on the rail, the bed of the truck. This is what he saw. That's the rail. There's the ring. When he told me that, I said, well, so your wife had it all along? No. So a friend gave it to you? It's on the rail of a truck. That, that stays on that truck five seconds when he takes off. I said, so where did he come from? He said, God did it. And he waited till he got his life right and he got his marriage back where it belonged. So tell me something. Does this matter to God? Does a covenant mean anything to God? Yes. Your marriage matters to him. Your covenant, your commitment matters. And God wants you to bless it. Believe me, he's watching it. He knows. In fact, when he saw that ring on the truck, he said he just broke down. He stood there weeping. That was the condition I saw him in because he left there and came here. He said, I was weeping because I couldn't imagine a God who created the heavens and the earth cared enough for me to find my wedding ring in his Atlantic Ocean and place it on my truck. But I'm telling you, we have a God who cares for you, and he loves you, and he wants to bless your marriage. He wants to bless your singleness. The most important thing is you'll find all those blessings in him. So are you a Christian today? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus? I know you're sitting there trying to figure this story out. When I heard it, I had to get up. I, had to get up. I said, man, I got to walk around a minute. Then I got chills. Then I began to weep. I just want you to know God is bigger than you think. And there's so much more. And I want you to say, God, here's my marriage today. I want to do what you said in your word. I want to give myself and I want to bless her. You can say it, ladies. I want to bless him. If you're single today, I just want you to say, God, I'm yours. Use me any way you want. Or if you are in the middle of a divorce, I just want you to say, God, I know it's not the way you wanted it. But God, I just ask you your forgiveness. I confess. I had something to do with it. They had something to do with it. 
But God, I want to I sell out for you and I want to live for you. And I promise you, God will not be finished with you. Can we bow just for a moment? Lord, thank you that you're here in this room and that you know us and you love us and you've given us this incredible gift called marriage. You also have given us a gift called singleness. And in either one, we can honor you and glorify you and we can make a difference in this world. So Lord, would you help us? Today, we commit our life to you. And we will live for you and serve you the rest of our days. In Jesus' name. Look this way. If you're on the stream and you made that prayer, you offered that prayer, maybe you've never trusted Christ, but you, you really, you're ready. We want to help you with that. Or if you're in the room, you can have that conversation with people as you leave today. You can also text us the word connect to 40777. And all of that is just simply to help you take a step. And today, especially, let's celebrate marriage. Let's celebrate what God has done. There's a party outside in the courtyard. I want you to go enjoy, and I want you to live like people that, yes, God will find your wedding band in the middle of an ocean if he has to, to show you how much he cares for you. Let's go enjoy this awesome God. God bless you. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.